We've been in the book of Isaiah, and we've been unpacking the series called Promises. Um, and this morning's no different. We're going to look at the ultimate promise fulfilled, and that's not a secret. We all know where I'm going with that, but it's going to be cool to journey together in that. But um, I was just thinking about waiting for things. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I really hate waiting. All right? Anticipation kills me. So Mandy and I have always got this thing. We just, we're constantly doing this. We'll buy each other a present, and then before we're supposed to give it to them, we will give it to them. Because I can't wait for them to open, and I can't wait to open. And so we end up, it works out well in some ways, because you end up having like three or four Christmas presents, three or four birthday presents, because I buy a birthday present six weeks in advance, and then I give it to her a day later. And then I've got to go get another one, because she can't not have a birthday present on the birthday. And that's what happens. So I think I ended up getting like four Christmas presents, um, and that was just a huge blessing. But one of the things that I really, it was really tough for me, um, and no one warns you about this, um, but, but waiting for my children, right? No one warns you that once you find out you're pregnant, you still got to wait nine months, okay? It's like, it's like, it's just excruciating. And you look at me like, that's silly, but I expected it to happen. So I was like, yes, we prayed great. Now what? Right? So it was just this, and I couldn't do anything about it. Right? I really, really couldn't do anything. And so waiting for my children was one of the things that was really agonizing for me, but the wait was worth it. Right? Definitely. Those things that we wait for that are worth waiting for often take a long time to come. But yeah, some of you guys have waited for stuff like finishing school, getting your driver's license. We can all relate to waiting, Mar- finding your spouse, family holidays, turning 18 so you can drive properly. Right? That, that for me was one of the things I was excited about. Um, but what I've learned over the 36 years of my old life, Nicole, um, has been this, that, that often our, our anticipation and our expectation of things is driven by our desire or our priorities for certain things. In other words, what we value dictates what we long for. So the things that you hold dear are going to be the things that you long for most often in your life. Christmas time is often one of those times of anticipation. We anticipate family time together, which is good. Meals with family, meals with friends, holidays, presents, and so on. We were up at 5 o'clock this morning because people were anticipating presents. But, but whether subconsciously or consciously, here's the truth and the reality about the lives that we live. Every single one of us has this desire or these desires in our lives that sometimes, more often than not, go unnoticed. Every single human being has a desire and is anticipating and longs for peace, longs for joy, longs for hope. Thank you for turning me up, right? We long for contentment of our souls. And at some point or another, you realize you're longing for that because we are sinful people. We realize we're longing for that because we are guilty for things that we've done or are busy doing. And we know about those things and our souls long for the forgiveness of them, the contentment that comes with being forgiven. We, we know we've made choices that are bad or haven't made choices that would have been good choices to make. We know we've kept secrets that we shouldn't have kept or we've told secrets that we should have kept. We've hurt people in some way or another, we've been harmed, and so there's this disunity in our hearts and in our souls, and we long for that peace. And I just want to say this, church, no Christmas present can fix that. 
No Christmas present can fix that because no Christmas present is perfect in that regard. It doesn't matter how many presents you open. It doesn't matter how many holidays you go on. It doesn't matter how many gammons you eat or roast chickens you cook. It doesn't matter how many biscuits and cakes or how many pants sizes you put on or lose over Christmas. Nothing can fix that discontent in our hearts except one, Jesus Christ. But that's the gospel message, that Jesus Christ fixes that. For thousands of years, people waited. Waited and waited and waited and longed for the day when a Messiah would come and the promise of Messiah would be fulfilled. Where God said, sin will be dealt with. You will be cleansed. Debt would be forgiven. Hearts would be changed. Minds would be renewed. And the promise of eternity was tangible and real for people. And that came with the coming of Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate gift promised and the ultimate gift fulfilled. But it was a long time coming before Mary and Joseph, there were men and women like you and I, boys and girls who studied the word and who knew about the promise of Messiah and who were holding on to the fulfillment of that promise, knew it was coming. And one of those promises we find in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years before the coming of Messiah. Here's what Isaiah says, it's for us or for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There are over 300 prophetic utterances about Christ in the Old Testament that relate specifically to his first coming. And this is one of them. And so this morning what I want to do very briefly is just unpack three biblical truths about this ultimate promise that was given and this promise that has been fulfilled and hopefully we walk away this morning with a greater awe and wonder and desire and reverence for our King Jesus. Right? That's the goal. So Holy Spirit, come and do that. Point number one is this. First truth about this is that this promise and the fulfillment of this promise that we celebrate today was a promise given and planned from the beginning. Right from the very beginning. We know the Bible starts off with this. In the beginning, God created... And it says he was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. And we know the story, we know the narrative. It got messed up, it got twisted. Adam and Eve did a bad job. They didn't nail it, they hacked it. And ever since then, there's been this separation and this anxiety and this longing to get back to that relationship we once had with God. And things just got from bad to worse. But in that moment, in the very fall of man, when things were at its essentially worst for Adam and Eve that had ever experienced, God brings this word. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, he's speaking to the enemy, who is the instigator of all of this, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In some translations, and he will crush your head. Right from the very beginning, this is a prophetic word about what God had planned for the Messiah to do. Right from the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth, God knew that Jesus Christ would come and destroy the work 
of the enemy. And it was given from the beginning. And so essentially, that's where the weight begins. The promise of Messiah comes. Sin is running reckless and rampant in the streets like a fugitive on the loose. Right? Things get from bad to worse. It leaves a path of devastation and destruction. And generation come and generation goes. And God wipes out the entire earth and saves Noah and his family. And in that, the promise is upheld. Noah and his family are representation again of God's saving power. They're a type of Christ. We refer to types of Christ in the Old Testament as figures that represented what the Messiah would do and stories that encapsulated the salvation plan in a nutshell. And so we see that in Noah, and then the earth gets repopulated, but no thanks to Noah, straight after, and his sons and daughters, straight after uh, the, the ark lands on the ground, Noah plants a vineyard, makes some grapes, makes some wine, gets drunk, and then a whole bunch of anarchy and chaos stems from that again. Right Then later on, we see God coming to Abraham, and he gives a promise again to Abraham. He goes, hey, all the nations will be blessed through you, it says in Genesis 12. Then you know Abraham has Isaac, and then he's asked to sacrifice Isaac. We know that story. And in that we see the promise again fulfilled, and an utterance prophetically about what was going to happen and what the Messiah would do. We see Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac, and that's the father sacrificing his son, but then God saves him and provides a ram that gets stuck in the fence. And in that we see God's plan of salvation that was coming. Thousands of years before it happened. Abraham has 12 sons. Each of them becomes a tribe of Israel. And I can imagine at night they would get together and they would sit around a campfire and they would listen to the story from beginning of Genesis to where they were about the coming of Messiah, the promise of God's provision in a king that would save their people, save his people from their sins. And they would sit at night, I can imagine, after the fires died down, listening to the stories that their moms and dads would tell and wonder and wait expectantly for this king to arrive. And then nothing. And then nothing. Times get hard. They end up in Egypt manufacturing bricks. But then God raises up Moses. And in a certain amount of time, they become organized again. And God's people have a king uh, given to them. They have three kings. And essentially, they move into this golden age where they are powerful. They're having victory on the battlefield. They're at the peak of the empire as they've ever experienced it all, that has ever been experienced by the Israelites. And then all of a sudden Solomon dies. And they descend back into chaos and idolatry, back into a place where they lose their credibility and they drift from the Lord. And the people in charge of them become people who are caught up in spiritual divination and encourage the people to do it. And they sink further and further away. But every now and then, God would send a prophet. And although the hope and the promise of Messiah had been lost, God would send a prophet to remind his people and remind his people again and remind his people again of the promise. You've fallen, but I promise I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore. And for thousands of years, people waited. For hundreds of years, people waited. And the last prophet to give a word about what God would do through this Messiah was Malachi. And he says this in chapter 1 about God. He says, my name will be made great among the nations, referring back to the promise God had made to Abraham. And you would have thought that this would now be the time. You know, for us, we turn from the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, and that's like a couple of seconds. It took 400 years, 400 years from the last utterance from a prophet of God's people to the fulfillment of Messiah. And then, then, 
In Galatians 4, it says this, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when the perfect time that God had foreseen and where God had foreordained and had planned it to happen, when it had happened, when no one expected it to happen, in a way that no one would have ever imagined it to happen, God breaks the silence and he sends a messenger the archangel Gabriel, to come in to give a message first to a woman named Elizabeth to say, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John and he's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. And then at the same time, Gabriel is sent to a virgin Mary and this is what she's told. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And as Paul says in Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And in this moment, God fulfills that promise. God goes, for thousands of years when I first gave the promise of Messiah, and told you what he was going to do. And through all the centuries of storytelling. And through all the hope. And through all the expectancy. This is now the moment. And I have been faithful. Now Messiah comes. And friends that's what we celebrate today. Just a spoiler alert. For some of you you may not know. But Jesus wasn't actually born on the 25th of December. Alright. Some of you that's like blowing your mind. But that's okay. Right. Probably somewhere around the middle of the year, April, May, somewhere, scholars reckon. But today's the day we've set apart for many, many, many years to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we celebrate it because today is the fulfillment of a promise that people longed for for thousands of years. And I don't think often we appreciate that because we live on this side of the cross. Right? But this is why this is the gospel message. You see, for a lot of people, they think the gospel message is this at its core, that I can be saved. And I think that's a little bit self-centered and narcissistic. The gospel message for people in the early church days was this. The king has come. The king has come. Messiah has come. That's the good news. And why is that the good news? Because with the Messiah comes the Messiah's kingdom. With the king comes the kingdom. And in the kingdom is salvation. In the kingdom is restoration and healing and wholeness and fulfillment of promise. And so if you wanted to distill the gospel message to its core for the early church, it was this. God has made good on his promise of Messiah. The king has come. The wait is over. Jesus is the promise given and the promise kept right from the beginning. The second point, and these last two will be a lot quicker than the first one, is this. This promise was fulfilled supernaturally. And I don't think we think about that enough. But we live in a day and age, and Tom alluded to it in the beginning, where the, there's been a return of the superhero. And they all have powers. Right? Superman can fly. Wolverine can heal rapidly. Aquaman, I'm still debating whether he's actually a real superhero or not. All right? But he can breathe underwater, which I can do with an oxygen tank too. All right? I suppose I can fly in a plane, but anyway. Um, Spider-Man can climb walls and shoot webs out of his hands. Yet I really believe that Christian theology has at its core a real and genuine superhero with real and genuine superpowers. It has at its core Jesus Christ. And, and the reason why he's so much better is because he lives. He's real. He exists. You don't find Jesus in the fiction section. You find him in the section on reality. In the reality of history past. 
Today we see Jesus at work, and we know in the book of Revelation Jesus is coming back again. There's this promise of his victory in the future. He is alive. He's living and active. And he's a God who enters the human realm, takes on human flesh, becomes fully human, and doesn't consider his equality with God or his godness something to be grasped. He walks on water. He calms storms. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He conquers the grave. Is resurrected, walks through walls, teleports all over the place, and then is taken back in a cloud up into heaven and says to his disciples, I'm coming back again. Sends the Holy Spirit, a power more powerful than any of the forces of hell can reckon with. That's our superhero. And all of this happens through the virgin birth. All of this is made possible through the virgin birth. In Luke chapter 1, it says, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah seems to like, say something that's redundant. He says, To us a son is given. To us a child is born, or to us a child will be born, to us a son is given. And it seems redundant, right? And some may think, well, he said son because he wants to clarify the gender of this child. There's a specific reason why Isaiah says child and then son. Firstly, he says child because it is a reference to Christ's humanity. This baby that comes will be a human child, fully human and because he was fully human he's able to empathize with us sympathize with us lead us and die for us and he uses the word son because it's a reference to the messiah's relationship to the father that he is god himself that this isn't some plain human being born like you and I were born of our mother and father, but this was a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in the flesh, fully human and fully God. And because he was fully God, he was perfect and was able to die for us in a way that no human could have ever died for us. And he was able to satisfy the wrath of God that was because of sin. And this was all due to the supernatural fulfillment of the promise through the virgin birth. All right, so then the last point is this. This promise was a promise given and fulfilled purposefully. It was absolutely purposefully given and fulfilled. The cute baby boy born in Bethlehem in a manger was born to accomplish something incredibly grotesque and incredibly ugly. And we don't normally talk about this on Christmas Day. We talk about this in Easter, Easter time. But the fact is that 700 years before it was fulfilled, the prophet Isaiah said this about the baby boy that was to be born. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we are like sheep and we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. At Easter we hear this, Jesus died for you. But the Christmas message is this as well. Jesus was born for you. Jesus was born for you so that he can die for you. And I think we need to contemplate sometimes the severity of the death that Jesus went through, even on Christmas. You know, crucifixion was a death that you would die, and it was by asphyxiation that you would die. In other words, you couldn't breathe. 
And you couldn't breathe because you would be hanging on the nails that were through your arms and through your hands. And that would be so excruciating and your lungs would be compressed that you'd need to take a breath. So then you would push up on the nails that were through your ankles or through your feet to take a gulp of air. And then when the pain in your feet got too heavy you would, or too painful, you would hang again back down into the nails that were through your hands or through your wrists. And that cycle went on and on. And while that was happening, remember, Jesus was whipped beyond recognition. His skin was torn from his bones. And as he moved up and down the cross, it wasn't a smooth, beautiful piece of wood like this harp is. It was rough and rugged and it was splintery. And at the same time that was happening, his muscles were getting fatigued. His muscles were beginning to cramp. There was excruciating blood loss and a lot of blood loss. And his heart was taking strain and incredibly stressed. That's how Jesus died. And the reason why I mentioned that this morning and not Easter is because Jesus was born to do that. Jesus was born to do that because God loves you so much. The point is this, you can't save yourself. Jesus was born to accomplish that task because you need God to redeem you. And so this morning, as we go back to our families, as we spend time with our friends and whoever it is that we're going to hang out with, I wanted that to be a reminder that's impressed on your heart and on your mind. That this morning is not a flippant morning, that we just celebrate something commercial. It's a morning we celebrate the birth of Messiah who was born to die for us. We celebrate the fulfillment of the promise of Messiah. Yes, it's an exciting time. Yes, and it's an amazing time. But it also needs to be a time of reverence and wonder and awe and respect and amazement and submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Matthew in chapter 1 says, As she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If it wasn't for the birth of Jesus, if it wasn't for the death and resurrection of Jesus, none of us would be sitting here this morning with hope. None of us would be sitting here this morning free from sin and the guilt and shame as a result of our past. None of us would be sitting here this morning with the knowledge that Jesus is coming back again one day and we get to inherit eternal life and the place that he's prepared for us because Jesus is the one who made that possible. This morning is about Jesus. And my greatest desire, my greatest longing in this season is that God's people would reclaim the sanctity and the sacredness of this day and of moments like this and of times like this and that on our lips would be the praise of Jesus and that the present we would give to people is the testimony of Jesus in our lives and the declaration of the King, the declaration of the Messiah, the declaration of the kingdom that has come and is coming. Because you can give people whatever you want to give them in this material world. And it will never satisfy like Jesus does. That's why Christmas is special. It's not cliched. It is glorious that the Messiah has come. And is coming again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, I just want to honor you for who you are. We know that around the world, Lord, hundreds of thousands of your people are celebrating the birth of the Messiah. You're coming to be with us, God Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray, Lord, that we would never lose sight of the fact that no matter where we can go, no matter what we do, no matter what we can earn, what can be given to us, what we can accomplish, 
Nothing is greater than knowing you as Lord and King of our lives. And I pray this Christmas, Lord, we would reclaim the reverence, Holy Spirit, that you would impress on us the sanctity and the sacredness of this day and the thing that we celebrate on this day. That's the fulfillment of the promise of Messiah. God, may you be glorified. May the opening of presents and time with family pale in comparison to the greatness of spending time with you and worshiping you. But may those times also be blessed because of you. In Jesus' name I pray. And may your people speak out. Lord, may your name be on our lips. May conversations that we have with strangers and with our family be seasoned with the good news of Jesus. May people be saved today because your people are extravagantly worshiping you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.